Well, you never know what's going to happen on Need to Know. <laughs> Stay tuned. So awesome. So creative. Yeah. And uh, we are looking forward to Christmas Eve. We, we are expecting 12 to 1,500 people here uh, to hear the message of Jesus. So lean into that. I believe there's a form in your bulletin uh, either this week or next on how you can respond to serve. Please help us. We're going to just rock the city uh, with the good news that Jesus is born. And hey, what a good day for us. We're gathering around the presence of the Lord. Who's excited about the presence of the Lord? Me, too. Yeah, and we're just going to thank him for what he's going to do in our hearts throughout this service. It is already a good day, and it's going to get even better because there's a big game that's happening at 4 p.m. Do you guys know what's happening at 4 p.m.? It's called Great Cup. I mean, you can't be Canadian unless you celebrate Great Cup. Come on. And uh, I want you to know that I'm going to give a prophetic prediction of who's going to win. I got the gift. All right? So I'm going to predict to you right now, this is the team that is going to win. The team that is going to win normally wears red, black, and white. Do you know who's playing? Do you know what they wear? Okay. So you're still stumbling. You're not sure. Okay. All right. Well, go Stamps anyways. And uh, may it be an awesome, awesome celebration for all of us Albertans. All right, I want you to turn in your Bibles to some passages here we're going to look at. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, Luke chapter 16, and Malachi chapter 3. And we'll highlight those for you later on. And hey, I want to thank you guys as a church. You're so awesome. You know, a month ago we asked you for a big favor. We said, would uh, about 150 of you make a shift and do the 150 shift over to 9 a.m.? So we've been looking at the attendance these days, and it's almost an even split now between the two services. We know 100 people have made it over to 9 a.m. That's awesome. Can we thank them for that, whoever they are? They're not here, but clap anyways. And we could use about three dozen more of you. So if you want to head over to there and make that your home uh, service, we would love that. There's advantages to being at 9 a.m. You get the whole day in front of you to do many incredible, awesome things. But we're so thankful for you guys. You get it. You've made room uh, for people uh, that are coming to 11, and we really needed that to happen. All right, we're in our second message in our Overflow series, reading from Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, verse 24. He's been talking here about treasures, treasures on earth and treasures in heaven. And, uh, and then he says these astounding words, and they'll be on the screen for you. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And the actual translation of that last word is mammon. Today I want to talk to you about mammon. You may have never heard about mammon. You may not have realized anything about mammon. You may not have recognized mammon in our world, but I assure you it's there. And I want to let you know that in a few moments we're going to unmask mammon. And we need to do that because if we're going to live in that abundant, overflowing life that God has promised to give to us, then it will require us facing up to mammon, staring mammon down, and refusing its power and pull in our lives. And so what we find out from the teaching of Jesus is that we would do well to declare something over our lives. And we can simply declare this. I am only going to serve one master, and it's not 
mammon, but God. Can you remember that? I'm only going to serve one master, and it's not mammon, it's God. I can't serve two masters in this area of my life. I've got to pick one, and I've already chosen who it is. So today we're going to expose mammon. Uh, It needs to say goodbye to us. Mammon has to go. And uh, into the passage we now get. And by the way, this series that we're launching here, and we started it last Sunday, uh, we looked at some very important things just one week ago. We looked at the difference between poverty and greed. And, uh, you know, they're really far apart, I realize that. But poverty and greed are not God's idea. We learned that poverty of spirit, though it's not a biblical phrase, it does actually convey this mindset or social mood of a certain group of people uh, in that they do not believe that God is their provider. And so poverty happens to certain cultures and people groups and even individuals as they give in to the terror of financial pressure. But we believe that God is a good God and that he's a generous God. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul the Apostle put it this way. He said, hey, uh, and my God will meet all your needs according to his riches and glory. My God will do that. I don't know about your God, but my God is a God who meets needs. And God is able and willing and predisposed to take care of his people. Amen? He wants to take care of you. He's intending to take care of you if you'll trust him, if you'll let him guide your life. And uh, as long as we're seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then we can trust God that every legitimate need that we have is going to be met by him. But first the kingdom. That's what we learned seven days ago. And we also looked at prosperity. And remember that little verse in 3 John Verse 2, it says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. So this biblical view of prosperity includes prosperity of the soul, prosperity of the body, and then prosperity of our lives uh, in the total sense of that word. And I did a very extensive word study on that last week and uh, shared that with you, that when we're talking about biblical prosperity, here's what it means. It means that whatever you put your hand to will have success. So that includes your work, that includes your career, your job, but also includes your family, your marriage, your relationships, your friends, your future, everything. Whatever you put your hand to, if you're a student or a worker or a person staying at home, God will give it success if we're walking with him. He wants us to prosper. And let me just say this again here. I started on it last Sunday that uh, this is a very delicate subject. Uh, And it's so delicate that some pastors probably would avoid preaching on it because it's so easy to misconstrue uh, and it's hard to cover in one series. And there's many examples of bad teaching in the area of prosperity. Some of you are aware of those bad examples. And they say things to you like, you can have it all. Um, You know, you just name it and then you claim it. And, of course, that kind of theology gets us into lots of trouble. And I think it's a great tragedy that there's been inappropriate teaching on the subject of prosperity over the last 50, dec- or 50 years, five decades or so, and some of that has seeped into the church even in this hour. We have to say no to that. And we have to underscore the good biblical ground that is ours when we're talking about biblical prosperity. And I expect that uh, God is going to speak to us a lot in this series. And I want us to get out of any ditch when it comes to this subject. Just like we get out of ditches on all subjects. 
There's ditches on the subject of marriage. There's ditches on the subject of spiritual gifts. There's ditches on the subject of money. We don't want to give in to any ditch. We don't want to give in to a scarcity or poverty mindset, nor do we want to give in to greed and self-aggrandizement. So let's just assume that we're all willing to do that, right? We don't want to be in any of the ditches. We don't want to say that poverty is normal or okay, nor do we want to say that mammon or greed is something that we should allow into our lives. And, you know, I really sense the Lord has something for us in this series. I really sense that he's got one of two things for all of us. For some of us, it's going to be a breakthrough, an actual breakthrough in our lives financially. And maybe in your work or in your business or in your career, you're going to see God doing something amazing in this next month. And I trust that that'll happen. I was talking with a young guy in our church just before this service started. After last Sunday's message, he went to work, and there was no work lined up for him, and uh, none for the whole week or beyond. So he got there a half hour early, and he prayed. He prayed. Guess what happened? Two hours later, the whole week filled up with work. Isn't that good? That's God. That's God saying, I want to answer prayers like that. I want to take care of you. I want to show you that I want to bless you in abundant ways. So that's the first blessing, and maybe it's a breakthrough. The second one is just that he wants to give us an overflowing blessing in all areas of our life. That would include finances, but it wouldn't be limited to that. So either way, friends, I think we're all going to get really, really blessed by God in this series. And we need to do that because Jesus talked about mammon, and he warned us about this treacherous, insidious force in the world, and we've got to be alert to it. And I paid attention to this even when I had little kids, right? I remember going back many years ago, we'd have kids at home, and sometimes I would come home on an afternoon and hang out with them, sit on the couch, as dads sometimes do, right? And I remember watching cartoons with my boys, right? Uh, When they were like three and six, and the cartoon was SpongeBob. Any SpongeBob fans here? Don't put up your hand. It's really embarrassing if you do that. (laughs) I was watching SpongeBob. By the way, I think SpongeBob is made for adults. It's all about adult humor. And um, anyways, I was watching Spongebob with my two little guys. They were really small. And uh, this one episode, I think it was episode 15. uh, And the stories of, you know, there's Spongebob, this guy who lives at the bottom of the sea, who's a sponge. And uh, he works in the Krusty Krab for Mr. Krab, who's really materialistic. And on that episode, this is what uh, Mr. Krab says. He says this. "Um, Counting me money... Money, money, sweeter than honey. Money this, money that. Will profit and make my wallet fat. And then he says, money is the ultimate source of joy. This is Mr. Crab on cartoons. Shaping the lives of your kids in your living room. So we got to pay attention to this subject because uh, even children are aware of the spirit of mammon. They bump into it on the schoolyard. Teenagers have to deal with it. Young adults have to deal with it. All of us have to deal with the spirit of mammon in our times. Jesus warned us about it. And we're going to deal with it because we're going to declare over ourselves, we're only going to serve one master, right? We're only going to serve one master, and it's not mammon, it's God. But what in the world is mammon? Some translations in the Bible use the word money or wealth. That's helpful but it's actually not the original word. If you look at it in the Greek, it's the word mamanos, and it's an Aramaic uh, background to the word depicting a spirit influence 
over wealth that is tied to some ancient forms of idolatry. It's the corrupt spirit of this world over and through the money system of this world. And, you know, I've looked at a couple of different sources on this, uh, commentators and authors, who are basically saying the same thing, that this Aramaic idea was in, in sort of enshrined in Babylon, uh, in that culture, where there was a belief that mammon was a spirit that produced wealth. And if you needed something, all you had to do was tap into the spirit of mammon. The idea was that if you did, you'll be taken care of and everything will go fine. Um, during the time of Jesus, it was enlarged past that uh, so that people came to understand it as the spirit that rests upon money that is not devoted to God. Let me say that again. Mammon is the spirit that rests on money that is not devoted to God. And the idea is that by default, if your money is not devoted to God, it is subject to the force and the spirit of mammon which is at work in this world. So think of mammon today perhaps in a, in a more... Um, jazzed up version. Let's call it the spirit of materialism. Are you aware of that spirit? The spirit of greed. The spirit of self-centeredness. That's pretty much mammon in our times. The spirit of chasing after wealth for the sake of getting wealthy. That's the spirit of mammon in our day. Mammon is alive and well. You can hear its voice. You can feel its taunts. You know, when you're trying to make that decision, should we go on that holiday or not, even though we can't afford it, let's just put it on plastic. Let's just, let's just put it on credit so we can go and have more things to enjoy for ourselves. The idea behind mammon is you deserve more. So take more, get more, have more. We're not going to give in to that because we're only going to serve one master. And it's not mammon, it's God. So mammon tries to... Um, weave itself into our lives in all areas so that we're never content. We never say, I've got enough. We're never at peace, perhaps, financially because we see the more around us and we say, why can't I have that? Mammon will taunt us with the idea of more. Mammon tells people, money is the answer to your problem. All you need is more money. You just need more money which is not what the Bible says. You need God. God is a great God of generosity. He will supply you with what you need if you seek first his kingdom. Money is never simply just the answer. It can be part of the equation. We'll see that in a moment. But ultimately, we are people that are going to be uh, stewards of kingdom resources. We have to have a kingdom mindset. Remember, we looked at this last week that true biblical wealth is a blessing. So we're not saying that wealth is bad. We're not saying having money is bad. There's that verse in Proverbs that says the blessing of wealth is in the home of the righteous. Righteous people have that sense of prosperity about them and that sense of wealth. And contrary to some Christian views, wealth is not necessarily a bad thing. We could really set that up wrong and it would be a ditch to make people believe if you're wealthy, you must be sinning. You know, you must be stepping outside of God's will because you've got so much. That is not necessarily so. It is okay to have wealth in this world. It is the blessing of God. And remember this verse we looked at last week, Deuteronomy 8, 18. It says, remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. That is an ability that God has placed into our lives. It's part of his original design with creation to rule and reign in this world. 
We're to be productive. We're to make things happen. We're to use our creativity because we're made in the image of the creator. And with that comes a, a, a certain level of, of capacity to turn things into an increase, a wealth increase. That's God's will for us. To deny that would not be wise. And, and I think that some Christians are just too nervous about wealth. Maybe they can't handle it or maybe they just think it's all bad. But the scriptures say that it can be a blessing. And, uh, you know, God uses money to accomplish his purposes. I remember I was with Dallas Willard in 2010, this great godly man, author, speaker, and teacher. We're at a retreat center uh, with Fuller Seminary for two weeks with Dallas Willard. He's teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, and we got into the topic of money. And Dallas said this, it will take money to get things done in the kingdom. I thought, that is a refreshing statement. Because sometimes we over-spiritualize it. You know, it's like, oh, we'll just, you know, we'll just be ready and we'll just expect and we'll just trust. Well, that's part of it too. But it's actually going to take money to get things done in the kingdom. Let's not confuse then wealth with mammon. God will work through financial arrangements. It's one of the things he's decided to do in this life. And you can be wealthy and not give in to mammon at all. And if you are wealthy, I pray God's blessing on you, that you will become even more wealthy so that you can have abundance and overflow with generosity to be a solution giver in this world for the kingdom purposes. So we just got to be faithful as God blesses us. Hey, let's look at Luke 16 here. It's connected to this idea of mammon. We have Jesus talking very directly about it. It's a very peculiar passage in the Bible. And I want to read it for you. Verses will be on the screen starting at number 9. He says, I tell you, use worldly wealth. Literally, it means unrighteous mammon. Use unrighteous mammon to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, or literally unrighteous mammon, who will trust you with the true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? And then he repeats what he said in the Sermon on the Mount. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. Literally, that's what it says. You cannot serve both God and mammon. And as we look at this little teaching here by Jesus, some people might read it in a different translation, and it sounds quite strange. Um, and, and they might think, it sounds like Jesus is saying, we've just got to give in to unrighteous mammon, and we've got to use it and let it control our lives because that's how we get to heaven. That's not what he's saying, obviously. It's the kind of teaching that you have to interpret using other parts of the Bible. I believe that what he's saying here is that we are to use money in this world, the money that for the most part is called unrighteous mammon. We're to use it for, for the purposes of God, which shows whether or not we can handle the true riches of the kingdom. And here's just one way that this happens. 
Let me just explain it to you. In our church, uh, whenever you give something here, um, it is received, it is carefully counted by uh, great tellers uh, who are sworn to confidentiality, records are kept, and then it you know, goes into the budgeting process. And uh, out of all that is given here in this church, 10% a tithe is given out again. And that goes to two sources, 7% to our global advance fund for our international workers, and 3% to our district for church planting in Alberta and assisting our district ministries. 10% goes out. And by doing that, we're participating in a larger story of what God is up to. We have churches being planted in Calgary and in Edmonton and in other areas. We have missionaries in Iraq. Did I say Iraq? We have missionaries in Iraq on the front lines, early stage missionaries, some of them going into the borders of Syria at times under great danger and threat. Uh, We have international workers in Mexico City and in Thailand and in other places in this world. Guess what? Those international workers could not be there unless someone was putting money into offerings. And not just our church, but many Alliance churches across Canada give generously to this global advance. And so our church has a part in in that whole story. And and I believe that we're going to meet people in heaven one day who are going to come up to us and they're going to say, Hey, are you from Airdrie Alliance Church? We'll go, yeah. Um, okay, I just want to say thank you because you know all those years that you guys were giving and and 10% was going out to other places? Guess what? A church was started in Baghdad. And my father was was saved through the preaching that was done in that church. And I came to Christ as a teenager. And I was baptized. And I heard the call of God in my life. And I started a whole network of house churches all across that city. Thank you. Because what you did, God used. God used and he brought me to faith. They will welcome us into our eternal dwellings. They're going to be at the gates going, yeah, finally I get to meet you. This is really the kind of celebration that we've got in store when we get to heaven. We'll meet people we've never met in this life who are connected to us actually right now through offerings. Are you with me? They're actually connected to us right now through giving. It's real. There are spiritual kingdom enterprises at work that happen And God blesses them. So I get really excited about that when I think about the potential of our church to bless the nations. we got to be about the nations. We are not just about Airdrie or the Airdrie region. We are about the whole planet. And what we do with our money matters. Here's the point. All money that we have is under some spiritual influence. It is either under mammon's wishes or it's under God's. And we've got to solve that. We've got to align ourselves to the reality that we have choices to make. Either we use money in this life for God's purposes or by default, guess what? It just goes in the direction of mammon. It's like this test that Jesus talks about here, Luke 16, verse 11. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, unrighteous mammon, if you can't even handle that, Who's going to trust you with the true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you the property of your own? There's an issue of ownership here. There's an issue of accountability here that we understand and we accept. And so every week, maybe even every day, maybe even every four hours, we are proving our allegiance to God in the transactions we make with our debit cards. It's that real, friends. 
And as we look at our bank statements, our electronic printouts, um, it shows to us what our values are. It just reveals to us everything that's true about us. And Jesus wants us to know there's a correlation between the way that we handle earthly wealth and how we will steward the true riches of the kingdom of heaven. They are absolutely connected together. And if we want to handle the true riches, we start with handling the things of this world properly and in alignment with God's purposes. I I think that that's when the blessing comes to our lives. When we make the choices deep in our heart that we're going to honor God with everything that he gives to us, we're going to steward it in faith for what he wants done in this life, then we can expect blessing. And there's only two masters, by the way. There's one that's going to win the affection of your heart, and it's either mammon or it's God. So we do say, I'm only going to serve one master, and it's God. I want to remind us also that money is not evil. I think sometimes in Christian churches we paint the picture that it's really bad and some people don't know what to do with it, so they either give it all away and have nothing to live on uh, or they get really, really paranoid about money and they clutch it all and keep it to themselves. But it's not money that's the problem. Remember the verse in 1 Timothy 6.10, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It's when money becomes our supreme affection Uh, when we're infatuated by finances and we build our whole lives around the chasing of wealth, that leads us into some dangerous territory. But money can be used by God for his great purposes. So what does a mammon-like lifestyle look like? I I think we see it in a letter addressed by the Apostle Paul to the churches of Galatia. And what I got with you here, I want to share with you a translation called The Message. From Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 to 22. This is what it says. It is obvious what kind of a life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex. A stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage. Frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness. Trinket gods. Magic show religion. Paranoid loneliness. Cutthroat competition. All-consuming yet never satisfied wants. A brutal temper an impotence to love or be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community, and I could go on. This isn't the first time I've warned you, you know. If you use your freedom this way, you will not inherit God's kingdom. But what happens when we live God's way? He brings gifts into our lives, much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity. Aren't you glad that we are emancipated, we are set free from a lifestyle of self-centeredness? That's what that passage is talking about. Following the spirit of mammon in our times, we are set free from that. We say no to that. We can only have one master, and it's not going to be mammon. It's going to be God. I love the joy that comes into our lives when we really get it that we don't own anything. (laughs) And, you know, we may touch on that in this series, too. Who owns what we have? Who ultimately owns it? Who owns your house, your condo, your your vehicles, your, your, your clothing? God does. He owns it. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He gave you the capacity to create wealth, not so that we would hoard it, Right? Not so that we would hold on to it and hide it and store it, but that we would be a channel of blessing in this world 
and also that we would enjoy the wealth that he gives us. And so we declare over us, Mammon, you're done. You have no place in our church and in our thinking, in our youth, in our children, in our adults. And we're going to practice that freedom in a certain way. So I want you to turn to Malachi chapter 3. It's our last passage here. And um, this is really a, a phenomenal section of Scripture in the Bible. And it shows us how we need to handle the things of this world so that we do not give in to the pressures around us and so that we are protected and blessed by God. And here's what it says. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven, and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Now, I I hope that you read the wider passage there, maybe between now and next Sunday, because there's some great stuff there. It's God talking about this thing called the tithe. And he he begins by saying, hey, you guys are robbing me. And uh, the question is asked, well, how are we robbing you? And he says, in tithes and offerings. You're under a curse. And then God says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. When he's talking about a tithe, it means one-tenth or 10%. So tithe is not 3%, 5%, it's not 7%, it's 10%. God says, bring that portion into the storehouse, which is where we gather together for worship, and test me in this and see if I will not, when you do that, I will open up territory in heaven I will open up doors and windows and pour out a blessing so great upon you, you will not even be able to contain it. So really what he's talking about here is a physical step that leads to a spiritual breakthrough. Are you with me? A physical step that we take, a physical act of obedience that leads to a spiritual breakthrough. If we want to see God open the heavens over our lives, if we want to see him take care of us and protect us from the devourer, it happens when we physically obey him in this area of tithing, bringing the tithe to God in the local storehouse, which is now his church. So tithing is really the beginning point of handling true spiritual riches. It's not the end point. It's not graduate material. It's just the beginning. We just got to start there, and then we got to grow past that as God gives us the ability. And we cannot advance in prosperity. Hear me on this. You can't advance in biblical prosperity unless you begin where God wants you to begin. And he wants us to begin with the tithe. And when we do, guess what? We break off a spirit of mammon in our own house, our home, our marriage, our our financial lives. We break it off. We say no to mammon. We are trusting God. And it's like the Lord is saying, I I really want you to trust me in this. You know, uh, everything that you have is mine anyways, but you know what, I'll tell you what, uh, 100% of it's mine. I'll let you live on 90, okay? The 90% you use with wisdom and you follow the promptings of my spirit with that too, but I'll let you make all the decisions on the 90. But on the 10%, no, that is exclusively mine, says the Lord. Return it to me. So in our church, in many churches, we don't even say giving the tithe. We say returning the tithe to the Lord because we don't own it. It's not ours. And the blessing comes every time that we do that. In fact, I think it could be said by argument that if we're not tithing, the spirit of mammon rests on our finances. 
There's no protection. And if you look at Malachi 3, he talks about the devourer that comes to the edges of your fields. Probably talking about grasshoppers that would come and sweep through a field and eat all the crops. God is saying, when you practice the art of tithing, when you bring that to me and return it to me, I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. And how does that translate for you? I don't know, but in my life, it makes my cars last long. It makes our clothing last long. God's blessing is on our finances in so many ways. I go, God, you're just amazing how you do this for us. He rebukes the devourer. You guys ever play Hungry Hippos? Right? You know that game? You should pull it out at Christmas time. Right? It's that round kind of dish, and there's like four different hippos uh, there. They're ready, and you press a lever, and they jump out, and they grab marbles in the middle. And then you, you whack it really hard, and it goes and grabs as many as possible. It's, it's a picture of the devourer. And God is saying that if you're not tithing, that devourer is at the edges of your field. And it may come in in your health, or in your relationships, or, or in your, your work, or in your career, or in your finances. And God is saying, I want to spare you from the devourer. I don't want you to miss out on any blessing I have. And so we... We act on that by faith. Biblical prosperity can't happen until we start where God wants us to start. And he asks us to start with his portion. So here in our church, we're encouraging everyone to be part of an overflow offering that we're going to be doing in the month of December. We're just calling it the overflow offering. And it's a way of saying to God, we're thankful uh, for how he's blessed us. We're thankful for how he sustains us. And we're thankful for the way that he takes care of us. And for some of us, uh, stepping into this will mean, I am going to start to tithe. And maybe we haven't been, or maybe it's new to some of us. But we're going to start to tithe in the month of December. Maybe we've come from a different church, and we've been here for six months or a year or, or four months. It's time to start to honor the Lord in this area. So we're going to start to tithe. Or maybe it means I'm going to catch up on tithing. Maybe I've just missed a few months in the last 12 months and I need to restore that and return that uh, to the Lord. Uh, Maybe it just means I'm going to continue to tithe. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to trust God even though I'm going through difficult times perhaps, but I'm going to honor him with his portion and I'm going to receive his blessing. It also is an opportunity for some of us to give generously above our tithe in the area of global advance and compassion. And I think God wants to do great things through both those areas. Global Advance Fund, international workers, and compassion here locally so we can be on mission here in our city. So in the next three weeks or so, we're going to do this, uh, have the overflow offering. I'm just letting you know about it today, kind of an introduction. This will financially strengthen our growing kids' ministries and our uh, youth ministries and young adult ministries and adult ministries and family ministries. It's going to strengthen home base. It's also going to enable us to be strong in caring for our facility and renovating it where we need to and staff costs and so on. It'll also enable us to build up the Compassion Fund so that we can care more for people in crisis. And believe me, our church does a lot in the area of crisis care. We are very, very generous there, and we love to be. And then it'll also give us capacity to go to another level to strengthen our international workers in places where God has sent them through the Global Advance Fund. So I'm just going to let you think about that, and we'll, uh, we'll mention it in the next couple of weeks or so, how you can be, be involved and in what ways you can participate. But I want to let you know that we are headed for a blessing. 
We are headed for some kind of breakthrough, some kind of blessing uh, as a church and as families as we trust the Lord in this area. Now, can I share something out of my own life here? I'm going to wrap up. I did not grow up knowing how to do this. No one in my home taught me about tithing. Um, A little bit of generosity was practiced, but not much. And uh, when I became a Christ follower at age 19, I didn't have a clue about it. Um, I just gave everything to God. I didn't know better. I gave it all away. <laughs> and uh, after, after a few years of that, I realized, well, I do have to live, and I do have to think about things. And so I scaled back on that. But no one taught me about tithing. And then my roommate in Calgary one day really challenged me. He had stepped into it for about a year, and he said, when are you going to get over your fears here? I said, how do you know I have fears? He says, well, because you're holding back. And I said, well, you know, um, I'm not opposed to giving. I'm just not so sure it's 10%. So he did a Bible study with me and challenged me to see this in the New Testament as well as the Old. And I said, okay, I'm going to move into this direction. He said, maybe you can't start with 10. Maybe that's too big of a step. You Start with 3% and then increase it over time. I thought that made sense to me. So the first month came, I got my paycheck, and I was in a pretty good job, you know, working in retail, and uh, I got the paycheck, took it home, and I realized, oh, 3%, okay, well, that's not much. Wrote the check, dropped it off in the offering at church. Month later, I was going to write another 3%, and I thought, why don't I hike it up to 5%? So I hiked it up to 5%, gave that, didn't even feel those, those, uh, those adjustments. And then about a couple months later, as I was doing 5%, I thought, it's time to go to 7%. And uh, I gave uh, my first check at 7%, and uh, I felt it. I'm like, oh, okay. Now I can't go to as many movies. I can't eat steak twice a week at restaurants. I can't put gas in my car and burn it up all over the place. I actually have to think about things. So 7%, I started to feel it. And then my roommate asked me, have you fully tithed yet? And I said, no. He said, what's holding you back? I didn't want to answer him. To me, it was fear. And so I came to a point with God where I said, either this is true or God has lied. Either what it says here in Malachi chapter 3 is absolutely crystal clear and true, or I can't follow God at all. And I know that God's real, so I'm going to believe his word. And I gave the 10%. It was such a relief. Finally, I felt like, okay, God, I'm not holding out on you in any way now. I'm trusting you for all things. And you know what? It was hard. It was hard for about five to seven months. I had to scale my whole life in a certain direction so that I could, as a person, commit to following through on what the Lord gave me to do. This is back in the early 80s, and most people were either losing their jobs or hanging on to them with, the, with their fingernails. Guess what? I got raises. I got raises after I tithed. By about nine months later, I got, I got two raises in about a year and a half. And God was providing for me in ways that I couldn't even imagine. It was awesome. Can I remind us about something here? The gospel of Jesus Christ is free. It's free. Jesus shed his blood on the cross, the ultimate payment for all of us, so that we could be rescued and redeemed and loved by God. The gospel is free. You can't earn favor with God. You can only receive it as grace in your life. So we're saved by grace through faith. We cannot on our own ever deserve it. It is a free gift. The gospel's free. But maturity is expensive. And there's times in our life when we just need to take a shift in a certain direction 
and bring our values into alignment with kingdom values. And when we do, the blessing comes, but it could cost us for a while. I want to encourage you to believe that God is in this in a special way for you, and he's ready to bless you. Remember, you cannot serve both God and mammon. You can only serve one master, and we've already decided who that is, right? We're going to serve the living God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, who will always take care of his people. I'm going to invite you to stand, and we're going to pray. And uh, I want to lead us in a certain kind of a prayer today. I I just feel so excited about this series and, and what God has in store for us, friends. I just know that he's got a blessing for you, and he's got a breakthrough for some of you specifically. And it's going to happen as you open-handedly and open hearts trust him like never before and then watch how he meets your needs and puts an abundance back into your life. Let's pray together. Bow your hearts with me. Whatever the Lord is showing you right now, would you just talk with him about it? Would you just acknowledge it? There's no pressure here. It's just, he's interested in you. And his word is life-giving. There's joy in obedience. There's joy in sacrifice too. And I pray that God will give you the peace that passes all understanding through his Holy Spirit as you say yes to him, whatever he's calling you to say yes to. Maybe you can pray to him these words. God, today I announce and declare to you and to myself, I am no longer under the spirit of mammon. I will not give in to selfishness or greed or fear in my financial life. I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to watch how you provide for me. So God, in any way that I may have been out of alignment with you, I ask for forgiveness, and I pray that that now your presence will move me. Move me to generosity, to faithfulness in giving, to resting in the reality that I'm taking care of what you've placed into my life, and I just want to be faithful with that. So God, give me your favor. May I prosper in the true sense of what that means according to your word may whatever I put my hand to this week find success I need it Lord to honor you and so I trust you for that and friend you might be here today and you're, you're ready to begin the journey with God that starts with receiving Christ into your life I just want to give you an opportunity to do that right now would you pray with me would you just say these words to God in your own way Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe that. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Forgive me of them. I turn from them. And I ask you into my life to be my Lord, my Savior, and my King. And I receive you right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Friend, if you just prayed that prayer, wow, that's awesome. 
The Lord has begun a new work in your life. I'm sure there's some people here who just did that. That's just great. And uh, you have begun the journey with Jesus that will last forever. He's got you. He loves you. You can keep trusting in him. And if you haven't found a home church, I hope maybe here or someplace you'll land where you can be loved and you can grow. I'm going to ask our ministry team to come up at the front here. If you have a need in your life, come on forward and uh, they'll minister to you. Uh, This is a great day to trust God for breakthrough. So I'm going to pronounce the benediction over you. All right, the the benediction given by Aaron to the people. God said this, lift up your hands and bless them and say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. Receive his peace right now as you trust him. God bless you. We'll see you in seven days. May the Lord favor the work of your hands this week.